0: Welcome to Pivot Points. This is the podcast about the pivotal moments that have shaped our academic, professional, and personal lives. I'm Femke, your head of communications at Wolfson College, and I'm all about creating ways for you to share your stories, like this podcast. This is a special season finale of what's been a really wonderful year of Pivot Point podcasts at Wolfson. I've had 10 inspiring and heartwarming conversations with people in our community about the pivotal moments that have shaped their lives. And now as I record this on my last day at Wolfson, I'm also on the cusp of a pivotal moment of my own as I start a new job and move to a different country. So to round off this season, I'm speaking with my good friend, Tom Brennan, who's the creative arts fellow here at the college. You'll be forgiven for thinking that you've already heard from him on this podcast because you have, (laughs) but this one's a little different. With his years of experience in the theatre industry, he's going to talk us through how nerve-wracking nerves can be when we're presenting our ideas in meetings or anywhere, and he gives us some really great practical tips on learning to embrace them. Okay, so, what are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) This might require
1: some editing as we get along. (laughs) Okay, good. Um, How are you?
0: great today's my last day awesome yeah
1: how are you feeling about that
0: um you know it's always bittersweet with these things it's a beautiful summer's day here and I think that shows the college in its best light Mm. um it's been a busy day saying goodbye to lots of people wrapping things up and then we have this special edition of pivot points which has nothing to do with pivot points actually Mm. it's to do with nerves
1: It's to do with nerves, and um, it's to do with thinking about being present. And uh, So I I teach a lot of theatre workshops, and the more I think about those theatre workshops, I think one of the key lessons is about encountering, being open to stimulus that arrives at you. And so strangely, I think a lot of this workshop that I was, I, I sort of, I did a sort of running of this workshop here at Wolfson, um, which obviously wasn't for a theatre making crowd, but was for a sort of academic crowd. Um, was on a similar notion of uh, essentially allowing whatever chaos that came at you to come at you, <laughs> um, and so I wondered if today, like maybe one of the a frame that we can use would be around. The transition that you're about to go through which is about ending this job and encountering a new job mm,
0: and very tactful
1: is that is that useful
0: i think that's extremely useful and i have to say i was very sad to miss your your real running of the workshop in college but i have to say that tom and i actually did a um a little ad hoc one-on-one version of this workshop because mm. i i was really interested in the content of it and Some of the tips that I learned through that I've kept in mind since then, Um, you know, coming into committee meetings and even, you know, just meetings one on one with people and presenting ideas. And I have to say they've been extremely helpful in that point that you just made around allowing things to come at you Mm. and feeling like you can actually deal with them. Mm. So... I can I can already see how, how useful and beneficial the tips from this workshop are. And I would love that to I would love to apply that great. to my to my Well it next might just be quite
1: life. a useful frame. I mean <laughs> I, you know, it's always easy to think, yeah, okay, who is this audience? Yeah. And I can imagine who you know, whoever's listening, but for now it might be quite useful for us to refer to that as a sort of example. Yeah, let's even do it. if, you know, you're great at public speaking and all this sort of stuff, so um, but it might be a useful sort of framework for us. Um In the workshop before, I began with playing the first half of a video, uh, which is called something like "Girls' First Ski Jump" or something Mm. like that. Which is,
0: (laughs) if anyone anyone listening would like to look that up, girls' first ski jump. It's
1: like it's just a little girl wearing a GoPro, so you just see what she sees, and she's at the top of a ski jump, and she's incredibly nervous, and the way she presents at the top of this ski jump is i just recognize every element of what she's going through her breath becomes really shallow she starts making funny sounds which is what i do um have you can see that like she's sort of shaking and there's all these people around her going you know it's okay don't worry you know just just go straight but you look down at this jump and you think that's really (laughs) terrifying (laughs) for this six-year-old girl to um to do this jump, and she's really trying to gear herself up for it and building herself up and building herself up and building herself up. And uh, of course, kind of when she goes for the jump, you, you know, you think maybe she's gonna fall off, or whatever. she does it perfectly and she gets back to the bottom of the hill. And immediately, it's like all of her nerves have disappeared, <laughs> and she's able to put this uh, terrifying experience into the box of, oh, that was a kind of fun thing, and you know, she says, like, Oh, the bigger jump seems like nothing now. You yeah, know.
0: the speed at which she goes she to that frame of mind. So and
1: yeah. a lot of... And so, we, I don't know, a, a big thought I was having while watching it again, which is one of my favourite little tiny short videos online, is about, A, the fact that she's really beating herself up at the top of this hill. She's going, oh, God, you know, oh yeah. you know, she's really giving <laughs> herself a hard time. And... We're often our, ha- our own harshest critic. When we're about to experience something or we're experiencing a stressful moment in the moment, our first act is always to judge ourselves. And to think, well, if it was someone else, they would behave differently. Or at least that's what I do anyway in stressful moments. If I feel like I get something wrong, I'm the first person to beat myself up. And yet, everyone, you know, the automatic instinct of someone else is like, hey, you'll be all right, or that sounds like a lot, that's really stressful, to, to kind of really understand that experience. So there's that, I think, which is interesting, which is like how harsh we are on each other. And then this other thing, which is about, like, practice is the only thing that will make these things easier. Um, and how quickly practice can shift those experiences. And and so what are the ways we can kind of frame these experiences in a way that's sort of more useful for us um, and push them from excite, from sort of terrifying and um, crippling to thrilling and mysterious and exciting is a sort of big idea, I think, for me. Um, and I think that's really important here at Oxford in this university setting because I think the expectation is so high and I've felt really nervous at loads of different moments being here um, because... There's, there's, it's For me, it's always been like the weight of the word, like, you know, Oxford, University of Oxford, like that has a huge weight in my head. And I always did well at school and all this kind of stuff. But, man, I used to sort of looked at that world and went, oh, my God, you know, that's where the really smart people mm-hmm. <laughs> go. And so whatever level you're at, whether you're, you know, at a graduate level or you're, you know, deep into your research or whatever it is, it's like you're going to be just carrying a lot of weight around the prospect of being here or at least i do maybe maybe you know this has become the most natural thing in the world for you here um so I, it feels like I, I, go on. I
0: would say just from from doing this podcast the number of people i've spoken to who will relate to that yeah. is huge everybody feels imposter syndrome when they're here
1: yeah and i think also because of that pressure and the articulacy of the people around you you feel like you're not really allowed to have this basic human experience, which mm. is to feel nervous and yeah. to feel terror around like you have something, to cover
0: that's... it up somehow.
1: Exactly, it feels like we should be beyond it. When mm. actually, at any level, you know, I think one of the things we have to get away from is the idea that authority and intelligence has anything to do with the ability to present or mm. the ability to not feel nerves. Often that's the case. Okay, the more I do some things, the easier they become. But one of the really interesting ones I think about is Judy Dench. You know, Judy Dench, the famous actress. She's had such a huge, long, illustrious career. And um, she gets so nervous before every performance that she vomits, she throws up, every time,
2: wow. because
1: she gets so nervous. Mm. You'd think, OK, so the entire world knows your name <laughs> and considers you to be a good actor,
2: yeah.
1: and yet you have such self-doubt such terror about that experience. Mm. So... We sort of need to get out of our heads in the idea that you know you're you feeling nervous has anything to do with your abilities or your intelligence, and often the fact that you are feeling nervous is a reflection of how sort of emotionally in tune and aware you are.
2: Mm.
1: I love this story of Elvis, and he had this song that every time he would sing it after his mother died or something like that. He, he would just choke up and he would forget the words and he couldn't mm. sing it. And it was like, rather than thinking, OK, Elvis can't sing the damn song, can't remember his lines, it was like a, a reflection of how in tune he was to his own emotions, that he would really, like, you know, connect to every word he was singing, mm. which was really interesting, I think, you know. Uh that was a bit of a bit of a ramble from me, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of today is going be the about, process. like, of, in a way, it's a lot of this stuff. I think is about acknowledging the vulnerable parts of ourselves and sort of mm. letting those things be. In acknowledging them, I think we can sort of deal with them slightly better. Um, yeah. So that's that's the sort of general focus, and I, I, I mean, I don't think. Today, I've got any like mind-blowing tips, really. It's just a reiteration of some sort of simple truths, mm. really.
0: And also, they're not mind-blowing to you, but to somebody who mm. really struggles with nerves, they will make a huge difference.
1: Sure. Or, or at least maybe it's good to like hear them again and give yourself permission to hear those things yeah. again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I've worked in the theatre for quite a long time, and that process is very intense because you're under pressure... Uh, always really in, in very short bursts whether you're teaching or you're directing or you're acting there's lots of potential for humiliation um, and you get sort of judged in this very public way <laughs> mm. um, and so I think that's probably the reason that I have an authority here is because I've put myself up for potential humiliation many 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 times and um, And I told, I'll sort of tell the story of uh, last summer, uh, I was associate director on this um, big West End show of Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And there was about 1200 people in the audience that night in this preview. Um, And that morning, uh, the morning before this other preview, uh, the director called me for breakfast and we went for breakfast early in the morning He said, well, uh, I, I've just heard that one of the actors isn't going to be in tonight's performance, so you're up. And I thought, well, what the hell do you mean? You, I'm up, you know. And suddenly, I had to learn about three pages of text. I had to um, be fitted into a costume I'd never worn before. I had to wear these different shoes that I'd never worn before, that didn't really quite fit me. And I had to do the quite elaborate journey across the stage in the performance of that of that show. Um, which included riding a bicycle around the stage, this huge <laughs> stage, and also the biggest stage I'd ever performed in—you know, twelve hundred seats—and uh, it all worked out. <laughs> but it was, you know, quite quite intense and thrilling. But I have to say, like some of these environments, I found myself here at Wilson have been more terrifying. And and in a way, it's, I think everyone goes, oh, you know, how do you learn all those lines, or how do you? Um, how can you perform in front of that many people? But actually, there's lots of architecture around the theatrical experience, which support the actor, um, so they don't have to feel those experiences. So, for example, you know, something I know exactly what I'm going to say. I'm not improvising. I know all my lines, um, or at least I can try to. In my in the day, I had to learn them, um, but also geographical thing, You know, I know exactly where I'm going to stand. Someone's told me where I'm going to be. Um, the stage is built so that the lights are shining in my eyes, so I don't really have to look directly into the eyes of the the audience. I, I'm sort of slightly blinded, so really it's just about it's sort of you're walking around in a void trying to talk, you know. Um, whereas actually in the academic scenario, and often you know, you might be across someone at the table looking directly into their eyes. You might be um to, you know talking about. Um, some of these sort of viva settings are I find that absolutely terrifying. And also, it's your own work that you have to sort of riff around. Mm. I mean, I find that prospect much more terrifying. Whenever I give a speech as myself rather than as a character, mm. it's way more terrifying. Suddenly, it's like I'm on the line rather mm. than my character being on the line mm. somehow. So, there's all this architecture and performance experience that. Um, kind of makes the, sort of alleviates pressure for, for you as a performer. And in a way, I think it's probably useful for us about thinking about how can we take some of those ideas, some of these little tentpole um, structures and in architecture into our academic experiences. So, um, in a way, we're looking for sort of scaffolding, really. Um, that's a sort of a main principle, I'm thinking, in a way, for, mm-hmm. for, for this sort of stuff. Makes um, sense. And one of the ideas of scaffolding is to think about an idea of um, circles of energy and attention. So, Patsy Rodenberg talked about this idea of there being three circles of energy um, first circle, second circle, and third circle. And in the first circle of energy, um, it's with you, you're really focusing on yourself. And so the voice becomes quite, I'm really thinking about myself. I'm looking down, I'm looking in. Um, I'm, I'm just obsessing about every little thing I'm doing. So often that's a very nervous experience, isn't it? Which is you're completely worried about yourself. Mm. And so Patsy Rodenberg would talk about that being of the past. Mm. So that it's all about the internal, it's about me. Oh mm. gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh, what am I doing Oh my god,
0: And you completely lose sense of the context of your current Absolutely. situation outside of yourself.
1: Absolutely. But also we enter that space often. If I, you know, if, mm. if I don't want to connect with the world around me, I retreat to my phone. You mm. know, It's so like I just go mm. in. That's about me, that's about returning to myself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The opposite of that, the third circle, is which is a space in which, like, you know, we think, you know, aggressive politicians, for example, mm-hmm. or bad Shakespeare, where you go beyond your audience,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you fill the space, but you're not really having a dialogue mm-hmm. with your audience. So, you know, um, Hark, bring me my horse, or whatever it is, it's <laughs> like you're going, like, you're attacking something mm-hmm. and you're filling space but you're not really being responsive Mm. and listening. It's
0: like a false bravado.
1: Exactly. Mm. Which is weirdly, so lots of people retreat into first circle energy when they're really nervous, whereas I actually think I push out into third circle of energy. Mm. So often, I mean, it's not all the case at all, but you could say generally there's a tendency for, say, a a lot of women to retreat into first circle Mm. and a lot of men to, like, push forward into third. Mm. And so it's important we don't, like, have particular judgment around those ideas because, it's you know, it's like, it's still a defence mechanism to attack and mm-hmm. to go beyond your audience. Mm. Um, and Patsy would we'll talk, we'll talk about that being of the future, she's mm. like sort of forward, and mm. I'm like, I'm worrying about what's going on in the future, and I'm trying to impress that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so she, she'd talk about what you're really after is this second circle in which I'm just allowing myself to be present with the room that I'm in and with mm. the people that I'm in.
0: God, that's so much easier said than done, though. Isn't, isn't it, it just? Isn't <laughs> it we just? All you gotta do is be present. Yeah, us. just to be present. <laughs> Easy. But I think
1: it is a useful concept because. It is,
0: definitely.
1: So, one of the things in relation to that is the idea of um, allowing yourself to be seen and allowing your, you to see other people. And um, someone once told me in an audition prep uh, class, which was sort of how, how can I prepare for auditions? which is you're entering spaces that you've never been in before and suddenly being tested, which is a very stressful experience, is to walk into the room. Make sure you're breathing, first of all, but then to uh, look at the four corners of the room. And that's a really simple way of just orientating yourself in space because often I think this, the idea of being, when you're nervous, you become detached from your body, but you become detached from the other people around you. You become detached from space. And if you just take a second to look at the four corners of the room and then look at the people you're talking to and really try and acknowledge them and let them see you, it can feel very artificial and very terrifying. But the sooner you can make that jump to do that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the more you're sort of reducing mysteries from the whole experience. Mm. And you're allowing yourself to like be aware of where you are, mm. which is it seems kind of abstract, but it's like
0: I find that so yeah. easy
1: to slip away. So no,
0: sorry. I just I think I find that such an important point. It's so like the temptation for me at least is really to block everything else off. Mm-hmm. I just want to get through what I need to say and say it. Yeah. But in doing that, I close myself off from the other people mm. to the extent that it feels. The thought of then looking up and making eye contact feels more terrifying because I haven't done it. Yes. Whereas if you actually just do it in the beginning, yes. Obviously you realise it's not very scary. Yes. And then suddenly you're more connected and you're more present. But
1: but also sometimes people are scary, right? So true. As in, <laughs> I, we got a question when I ran the workshop mm. where someone said, "Well, you know, that's all very well and good, you know, good like us all uh, looking up at our audience and really seeing them, but what happens when I have someone?" <laughs> who's like doesn't want like it's sort of already mm. against me in some yeah. way and you get that sometimes in a workshop with a lot of people mm. is you'll have one person who essentially has already made the decision and they sort of want to sabotage yeah the thing energetically and that's speaking. very relatable
0: for an academic space yeah. as well because you'll have someone in your audience who does not agree with what you have to absolutely. say, before you even say it.
1: absolutely absolutely um, and the tendency then is to sort of <laughs> Like not to want to acknowledge that person mm. in the room, but weirdly, the more you can look at that person and acknowledge that difference and say, that kind of, that's okay. I don't mm. <laughs> which is very difficult when you're trying to defend your own work. Um, in a, I work a lot with. I used to work a lot with teenagers, and one of the best things someone told me about those environments is when you have a disruptive person in a, in a group of teenagers. Um, rather than you know berating them or attacking them again it's a similar idea which is like make yourself present with that person Mm. so for me it was always about saying hey are you okay are you okay Mm. and really asking the question not really meaning it really Mm. meaning Mm. it are are you all right what's going on or whatever Um, a really simple question where I was really looking them in the eyes and really making sure that they understood that I was really asking the question I wasn't trying to play a game with them Mm. Um, but I was really asking them is everything all right Mm
2: -hmm. because
1: they were really disrupting my class Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) And it's amazing what a difference it makes for people to be heard mm. and seen in that way. And so the tendency is, of course, to like run away from contact. Mm. But the sooner you can allow yourself to be seen and allow you, yourself to see other people, the more you can actually just get to work mm. and have Although, a more honest
0: moment with people. So I would say the, the only... I wonder how that translates in the academic context if you're presenting your Viva, for example. Yes. And and you're getting a grilling basically about your research mm. it wouldn't really be appropriate in that context to stop and it's say like, are, so are you okay <laughs> <academics>, <laughs> yeah. are you okay they'll yes. be like yes this is my job yes 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 absolutely <laughs> so how like yeah so you can't really do that in that context but no. how do you deal with your nerves and your feeling of being attacked in that context
1: well maybe part so part of that are you okay? Feeling is about saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to really like see you dis- without the baggage of, okay, this person being the naughty kid, let's say. Mm. Hey, like, let's not brand you as the naughty kid, let's brand you as a kid who needs to be heard for a brief moment. Mm. And of course, like, the academic, your academic superiors are not needing to be heard in the same way, but there is a dynamic between you. Mm. The more I hear about those sort of viva settings, the more terrifying they seem to me. Mm. But I think there's nothing. Thought, and maybe I'm getting this absolutely wrong. It's okay to say maybe or mm. I don't know, mm. but to, to take on board the point that someone is making. I mean, I think one of those things in terms of active listening, which is like someone attacks you
2: mm.
1: or you're, let's not call it attacking, mm-hmm. critiques are academic ideas. Mm. If you feel pressure in that moment, mm. you can repeat the ideas that that person has said to you. And they will feel really heard by that experience. Mm. So rather than like, no, that's wrong because I'm I'm in third circle. Mm. So you're saying that this, this, this and this. That's a really interesting point there. But I also think this, this Mm. and this in my work or even I didn't really cover that in my work here. But this Mm. is how what I'm doing here.
0: And by repeating their argument back to them it also gives you time to exactly. process it before you start coming out with a response it's not
1: a race it's not about I it's not about key. pushing yeah. away any flaws in your mm-hmm. own academic work it's about
2: yeah, hearing
1: hearing that mm-hmm. because actually that's useful if you are being an, you're being a good um you're being a good academic. Yeah, a good student. A good student if you're Grade able to really take on new information in that way.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Which
1: is the same in terms of being on stage, which is what happens when something chaotic happens. Mm. Um, when something doesn't go to plan, mm. when you forget your line, for example, you have choices. I stay in character. I try and breathe through it. I try and figure it out. Or I run from the moment, I freeze or I run off stage or I f- go oh god what have I done <laughs> you know? uh, there's, there's many options but the most superior option is to take a second to maybe repeat the last line
2: mm.
1: mm-hmm. just give yourself your brain some space it's and to try process. not to judge mm. it
2: mm.
1: as soon as you start judging yourself and beating yourself up you're in the past mm. or you're in the future
2: mm.
1: I had an experience where I forgot a line, no it was Oh, someone else forgot a line mm. on stage and I was suddenly so concerned for them and for what was going on and what was going to happen to the show that when it came to my line I wasn't ready mm. and I forgot my line mm. and suddenly it snowballed and the whole scene was chaos <laughs> <laughs> instead of ah they've forgotten their line that's okay that's in the past let's move on you right. know let's mm. be present to this moment and often I think this snowballing feeling is the worst, right? It's mm. that I enter a space, um, I'm nervous for that moment, I feel like I mess up my beginning, and suddenly I'm judging myself, everyone hates me, and I can't get out of that rut at all. So I would say, and we'll come on to this a little bit later, which is just about, like, do repeat the first thing you... Just practice the first thing you're going to say out mm. loud. Mm. When I was doing this presentation to these people, I only really rehearsed the beginning mm-hmm. so that I could set myself up on the right foot. And it feels weird to also walk down the street and say the first lines of your... Mm. <laughs> whatever that thing is. But where do you want to begin? And again, you know, in an academic context, that might not be how you're able to begin because someone might begin your Viva, for example, with a completely left-field question mm that you're totally not prepared for Mm. but even the process of setting yourself up for here's how I might begin you're just giving yourself a bit of scaffolding and a little bit of structure Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, so I think that structure idea is really important Mm. so also in terms of this idea of like how do we access this second circle because Patsy Roden-Dudburg would talk a lot about um life really taking us out of second circle in loads of different ways particularly sort of modern life it's Mm. like okay my phone takes me in you know um so many elements like feel combative in a certain way and push me into the third it's like how can i just remain in this like non-judgmental open listening state it's Mm. really hard
0: Mm. Um, unless you practice a lot of meditation
1: well great this idea of meditation Mm. and what in meditation a big part of that is about breathing Mm. and allowing yourself to breathe and in stressful moments our physiology freezes up we 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 start breathing really in a very shallow way Mm. our body becomes tense and then of course we're not going to be able to express ourselves it's
0: horrible isn't it why it's it's so frustrating that our body we have less oxygen going
1: to the brain so we can't process information very well Mm -hmm. But also, our entire bodies are tense. And so, actually, our voice gets really weird. Mm-hmm. Our mouths get clammy. It's like all of these things. <laughs> and then you that, hear
0: it and feel oh, it all happening. And then you start thinking about the fact that it's happening. Your
1: heartbeat's racing <laughs> yeah. because you're breathing quickly. And so, let's talk about that. You know, so, okay, I'm up here. And, um, and then suddenly, my voice is a little bit higher and it, sounds a little, it doesn't sound mm-hmm. very confident. And um, weird things are happening to my voice <laughs> so suddenly I'm judging myself for that so yeah. actually actor training and uh, vocal warm ups I would really encourage everyone to look up some simple vocal warm ups and always really every vocal warm up I've ever done has started with breathing
2: mm.
1: it started with the idea that to, to power a voice in a confident way you need breath for mm. that to happen it starts in the breath so really Um, And you think about, you know, people who are really relaxed, like babies, for example, they're completely physically relaxed Mm. and they make an amazingly large sound. So it's Mm. like the more we can relax our bodies and remove tension from our bodies, which yoga, meditation, stretching, this kind of thing, it doesn't have to be really rigorous, but you're trying to get yourself back to sort of almost like a baby state.
2: Mm.
1: Because it's amazing, you know, babies like make this absolute racket from this tiny body. And it's because their bodies are so relaxed, they're able to make that huge Mm. sound. Um, And so the more confident we can become with filling a room with sound, and that's also, I would look up um, a little bit of work on resonators. We have all these amazing holes in our face and our neck. Mm. And if you can start to become a bit more familiar with using those spaces in the way that you present, you'll have a much more resonant, pure, and like powerful sound. we get all trapped in different parts of our faces and our um, in terms of these resonators so you know some people like really are stuck in this like nasal resonator and that's right up there so it's very really sort of you know this, this sort of sound um, or like back here if you if it's like right at the back of the throat it's like i have got a slight terror of like pushing forward but it's like mm. right at the back of my throat and often singers talk about singing into the mask mm. and so you're trying to push that sound forward. Into the front of your face. So, actually, if I'm talking now, I'm just pushing that sound slightly forward into the mm. front of my mouth. And that's a really subtle shift. But if you can start to become slightly more conscious of where your breath is and where, sorry, where your voice is and where you're pushing that voice, mm. you can sort of make, you can have a bit more control and you can find a slightly richer sound for yourself. Mm. Because again, nerves push us into this tightness. If I rise under my shoulders, I'm compressing all this space. In my neck and my face, mm. and suddenly it's a much less confident sound, mm. and that's just from me rising up my shoulders. So a little bit of like language around that, I would really just encourage you to look up some vocal warm up techniques on YouTube, and embed that into a process of meditation and mm. breathing and yoga and that kind of thing.
0: I, I think also with volume, I don't I don't know which mm. comes first, but I find that when I I know it takes a bit more confidence to kind of come out of yourself Mm -hmm. and speak a little bit louder. Not getting all the way into that third circle, but just projecting your voice in a confident way. Mm. It takes confidence to do that. But I also find that once I do it, I feel more confident as well. Because I'm really aware that, okay, everyone can hear me. So that eliminates one worry of people not being able to hear me. I can hear that I'm articulating myself properly. So it kind of eliminates the worries around clarity of communication. Mm. But I know that it takes confidence to get there, but it's almost like if you have that little bit, then you will find more confidence once you're there. It's the
1: same with pace. Mm. My feeling is that generally people talk too quickly Mm. and that it takes... If you see a really, um, really experienced actor, someone like Mark Ryans, for example... He doesn't talk that quickly, mm. and you see a lot of young actors, and they're filling it with all this stuff, right? They're sort of like, um, gesticulating mm. all over the place, and they're talking really quickly, and it's really, en- it's always energetic, mm. and it takes a lot of confidence to say this is enough. My voice here is enough,
2: yeah,
1: and that's the same in regards to, um, projection, which is like it takes it takes practice mm. and confidence to be able to fill a room, but once you can do that then you you're not overdoing it you're yeah. saying this is enough and i know what to do and, and again i think this idea of practice is so vital mm. of course if you're finding yourself in a state where you, the idea of public speaking in any form or sort of you, you know even one-on-one talking is so terrifying um you know it's all easy for me to say oh just practice mm. <laughs> but actually there's lots of ways that i practice um you know walking in the street and for example, preparing for this presentation, just saying my words out loud to the street. Um, the worst that's going to happen is that someone passes me and thinks I'm insane.
0: <laughs> I'm sure that's happened. Before. I'm sure it
1: has, <laughs> but I'm not going to see them again. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't it? Really, really matter. Doesn't matter. Um, but it's amazing for me how our lives and our like, particularly, I'd say, like our teenage years can really mess up our connection mm. to our voice
2: mm. and our
1: physiology. I had such terrible posture by the time I was 18 mm. and you could hear it in my voice mm. You could, and it shifted the way I was able to, and the sounds I was able to make.
2: Yeah,
1: Is there a lot of practice that you're able to, it's about having options really, isn't it? Um, I can fill a room if I need to. Mm. Um, or I can say you know, I'm going to take time to say this sentence Mm -hmm. rather than racing through it. Mm. Maybe I'm talking too quickly on this podcast, I don't know, you know.
0: I don't think so. Maybe I'm just used to your cadence. I don't know.
1: Mm. The other thing I would suggest is um, having a little mindful, imaginative moment before you start your stressful experience, which is about giving yourself a little dress rehearsal. Mm which is about saying, before you're going into this um, stressful moment, just imagine yourself, maybe from the third person almost, um, imagine watching yourself going into the room, where you're going to sit, what those first lines are going to be. Essentially, just give yourself a bit of permission to imagine that experience, rather than saying, i just got to get through it, I've got to get through it, Mm. and racing through that experience. Just give yourself some permission and time Mm to imagine those first few moments of that experience again it's a, it's that's a just a safe way to like
2: prepare
0: yes i was just going to say it's a lot harder when you don't have you know a spare 30 minutes directly before yes. and you have to go for yes. example you know from a into a back-to-back meeting or something like oh, that. oh yeah yeah That's yeah. a lot harder and
1: sometimes stressful moments can surprise you i had an experience recently where a meeting sort of came out of the blue and I didn't think it was going to be stressful at all and suddenly it was mm.
2: yeah,
1: and again bad. the only thing I could do was in right slap bang in the middle of this meeting mm. and I think I was even halfway through a sentence is just take a second and mm. take a breath and instead of imagining that suddenly everyone's going to hate me <laughs> for that
0: because <laughs> that's what we imagine isn't it isn't it funny, like, though? what's going to happen if I stop for a second
1: it's so interesting the way that if it was anyone else, you'd be mm. like, oh, they're just taking a breath. Yeah, oh, you, they're wouldn't, just taking you wouldn't a second. think
0: twice about it. The
1: worst thing that you, you do is you go, oh, that's a very kind of bold move, or that's a long pause, yeah. or... It almost um, exudes I, I hope they're okay. Though. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. That's absolutely fine. It's completely you know. fine. <laughs> it's fine when someone else does it.
1: I met a really successful theatre director a few years ago um, with my company, and it was extraordinary because it was the most extreme example of this where he would take you know, minute-long pauses between phrases. Mm. And it, it was kind of unbearable, but also it, a did,
0: quite long. <laughs> it, it did
1: exude a level of confidence around that space. Yeah. I don't need to fill it. I'm just going to take a second to think of what it is what I want to say.
0: Yeah,
1: Fascinating. Mm. Really interesting.
0: Yeah, I agree. Good tip.
1: I, uh, at this point in the workshop, I've just got going through my little presentation here. It's becoming slightly useless because I <laughs> <laughs> um, again, I'm just giving myself a minute.
0: Give yourself a minute. <laughs> Be confident with it.
1: Great. I, I might just talk briefly a little bit about structure, which um, isn't really that appropriate. Like I'm not really giving you that much structure in this in this workshop at all, um, but. I like to think, and this this is more about presentations, I would say, but it's about what are the questions you're setting up at the beginning of your presentation and how are they being answered or concluded. When we're building um, one of our plays, we often just talk about setups and payoffs, and sometimes the setups and payoffs can happen immediately. For example, who are you? I'm Hamlet. Thanks for... Okay, great. There's a set-up. Who are you? And there's a there's an answer there, which is, I'm Hamlet. Great, okay. That's not a line in Hamlet, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? I'm Hamlet. Okay, well um, <laughs> not But if we think about structurally Hamlet, first scene, Ghost of Hamlet's Father, the proposition of this first couple of scenes is, Hamlet, um, I've been murdered. Avenge my death. Ah, the question is... Is Hamlet going to do that thing? That's set up. What's going to happen in the last scene? It better answer that question. And it does, but not in the way that you expect. So I love this idea in terms of any kind of storytelling, any kind of presentation, which is the journey can be um, long and meandering and strange, but we have to answer the questions we're setting up at the beginning in some way. In Romeo and Juliet, they tell us the entire plot in the first few lines. We know that they're going to die right at the beginning of the play. The interesting thing of watching the play is how does that happen? How do we get there? So really being clear about your sort of mission statement at the beginning of a presentation and then allowing yourself to go on a journey is really fabulous, but making sure that you always return home at the end, I think is really useful. Mm. And that idea can happen across an entire presentation or an entire narrative or an entire story, but can also happen in very small ways throughout the, the piece. Ah, what's, you know, what's this? Ah, um, it might be essentially, question, almost saying like, um, here's my big question, and that's going to be answered at the end. But within that, there's lots of different questions that are going to be answered again and again and again throughout mm. the production. It's a very simple idea, but the idea of setup and payoff. Mm. Um, you might also talk about it in terms of tension and release. Chekhov's gun is an idea. It's like if I put a gun at the beginning of the in Act One, it's got to have to be fired in Act Four. Mm. And it's in storytelling terms, I think that's really useful. Mm. I might not even know what the question is specifically. I'm not. I might not make that very clear. Mm but I want things to be paid off. That's a sort of natural rhythm we all have as human beings, is we like things to be completed and paid off. Mm -hmm. If I tell you the first half of a story at the beginning of a presentation to sort of humanise the subject, and then I don't answer, I don't complete that story, everyone's gonna be feeling really weird by the end of the presentation. It's a simple idea, but it's a useful one. Mm -hmm. And again, that kind of architecture um, is quite useful for us if we're feeling nervous, just Mm -hmm. to know I've got a few little bit of structures here. First couple of um, scenes of when Harry met Sally. You know, can men and women truly be friends? Mm. Right? It's like it's a question,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we spend the rest of the film trying to figure that thing out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'd like to talk a little bit, just to, as a sort of last thought about improvisation. Um, and Miles Davis has this quote, which is, um, "It's not the note that you play that's wrong; it's the note you play afterwards that makes it right or wrong." Mm. Which is a really simple idea. It's like maybe we mess up maybe we don't have an answer uh maybe uh i cough or um sneeze or start sweating profusely (laughs) in improvisation it's yeah it's a very hot day (laughs) in improvisation it's about what do you do with that stimulus Mm. what do you do with that information are you brave enough and confident enough to embrace the calamity of each moment Mm and embed it into the, to what you're building. Mm. Um, so we have this idea in improvisation, which is yes and, is a kind of core mm. idea. Um, uh, how's your wife? She's really well. Um, uh, she went to the shops. Yeah, she went to the shops and she bought this thing. I'm, I'm taking that information and I'm building on it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If I say, how's your wife? I don't have a wife. The scene is, en- it has, <laughs> is over. <laughs> and in the same way, whether it's a conversation with yourself or with someone else, you're really trying to build on that information. So going back to our Viva example, mm. it's it's really important that you take on the information someone's giving you as opposed to defend and reject it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Take it on, think about how that might interact with your ideas. Mm.
0: I think something that really stands out to me, though, is the idea of trusting your own brain. Yep. Like trusting that you do have... The capacity to think on your feet. Yes. That you have in a Viva case, you've done the relevant research. Yes. You might not know the specific answer to that specific Great. question. Yes. But that doesn't mean that you can't talk about it. Great. And, and improvise, and it, like you said.
1: Exactly. If you can try and improvise around mm. that thing, that's useful. I mean, a big principle of improvisation training is about um, being okay with failure. Mm so we play these games in in these classes where if you mess up everyone points at you and goes loser 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 Mm. so you can feel that humiliation Mm. so you can feel that momentary failure and then quickly move on Mm. and in the same way it's like maybe there's a point at which you really mess up maybe Mm. you totally fail but if you've done that research and you've done all you can ahead of time that's the sort of crutch that's the architecture that surrounds that experience yeah hey, you know, maybe something can come out of nowhere and destroy your thesis. Mm. That's that's an awful reality, but we also have to face it. It's like maybe something that someone says one day will destroy a lot of work. Mm. You know, we have to be open to that as well. Yeah, We have to be open to the possibility of failure.
0: I think something something that I always try to think about with that is if I'm coming into something that I'm extremely nervous about, mm. I do It sounds a bit counterintuitive, but I tried to play out the worst case scenario. Yes. Like, what is literally the worst thing that's going to happen to me in this situation? Generally speaking, the answer is not, I'm going to die or something awful like that. It's, okay, I might feel a bit embarrassed, Mm. or I might not know the correct answer to this question, but I'll be okay. I'll say something like, I don't know, but I'd love to work with you on that. Great. Which kind of relates to what you were saying about uh and what was it and yeah or yes uh, yes, and. And. Yeah. yes it's yes. like i'll give you an answer and i'll build on it somehow. brilliant
1: exactly and how much energy do we, do we normally spend on things that we can't control yeah, I, exactly. I, I can't control if the person opposite me suddenly has this idea that yeah. you know brings this completely new territory into the field of vision that i had no idea about no. i can control doing as much research as i can for example I can't control all the that's out there. I can't control the fact that it's raining and my suit is soaking wet. I can't control the fact that um, the room is really cold Mm. or whatever it is. It's like
0: I think that's such a such useful point. Focus on what you can control. What
1: can I control? Mm -hmm. And just breathe through the stuff you can't control. Yeah, it's really and listen. Mm. Um, And uh, this idea of improvisation again, like going back to this idea of like control and and Mm. and non-control. It's like that doesn't mean a lack of knowledge and preparation as well. Mm. It's that I can be open to that experience and I can be open to failure. It doesn't mean I'm I'm dossing it. It's like improvised Shakespeare, which is this sort of genre of, you know, well, there's improvised everything, really, but improvised Shakespeare I do find very interesting because not only are they generating a whole new narrative every night, every Mm. time they do the performance, but they're also trying to do that within the structures of Shakespeare and in iambic pentameter that is often rhyming. Mm. So they have built, but that seems like an impossible task. But to build that, they always have structures around that that makes it easy for, mm, for them. Yeah. I know exactly how to, um, I, I've got, I get really good at rhyming, that's one mm. thing. Um, we all understand the structures and, and, and how a comedy works or a tragedy works. Uh, we've read all the plays, so I know how they function. And also, at a really basic level, going back to this idea of how do I begin, is we're always going to begin the show the same way. Mm. We're always going to begin saying, welcome to the improv Shakespeare company. And blah, 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 blah. it's like, there's always this set script at the beginning of most improv shows. Mm. And it's just about settling everyone down mm. and understanding the rules of the game. And then we can kind of go, um, go crazy from there. Mm. So I think it's again, it's like, what crutches can we give ourselves to just help that process?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, we just like never want to look like an idiot do we mm. i mean that's just the worst that's, th- that's the thing. aim to
0: not look like an idiot <laughs>
1: so how can you prepare yourself for, for looking like an
2: idiot mm.
0: one way for anybody local to oxford who wants yeah. to prepare themselves for looking like an idiot um somebody told me about this thing recently called toastmasters okay Have you what that is before? that so I'd never heard of it before and I was talking to my to my friend about, you know, all of this stuff. It was shortly after we had talked about your your workshop and nerves and presenting. And he was like, Have you ever been to Toastmasters? And I was like, Never heard of it. Basically, it's a it's a worldwide club, let's uh-huh. call it a club, um, basically for people who want to practice presenting and public speaking. Mm. There's a place in Summertown where people right. go and they do this every week. And basically you go and whoever's presenting it you know you can you either get called up or you volunteer to go up and you just have to stand there and answer a question and the question is completely random could be any you know could require any kind of structure of an answer you have no idea what it's going to be um it could be something like talk to me about the advantages of you know cheese over butter yeah. Like something that you that you don't know anything about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. But then it requires you to just dig into your brain, think about what you do know, think about what you might be able to spin in the right way. Yeah. And just think on your feet for a minute yeah. and say stuff.
1: But also what's great about that is no one really cares mm-hmm. if you succeed or fail. And sometimes the most successful moment in that would be the the terrible failure.
2: Mm.
1: Like that's the one we'll enjoy celebrating with you on stage and it's like all comedians would talk about that thing which is like you have to get up there and die you know you yeah. have to like over and over again really fail mm. to be able to be prepared for that experience i think that sounds really fab
0: yeah and it, <clears throat> excuse me it is it's all over the world so when i move to nairobi i'm going to join Brilliant. the club there and start Brilliant. practicing
1: amazing, amazing. amazing. <laughs> cool that's cool is there anything specific It's a very leading question Hmm. in relation to your new life and your new work that you're sort of feeling a bit nervous about?
0: So something that I do find difficult, um, so for context, I'm moving on from Wolfson, Starting, I've already started a new role with a climate communications agency, Um, it's a completely new company so what we're doing right now as a communications agency is trying to get clients Mm -hmm. and the clients that we want are startups in the climate action space of all different sorts so something that we're doing a lot of right now is pitching and pitching requires confidence full belief in your ideas a kind of relentless ambition to build a relationship with this person and essentially build a business partnership with this with this person with this other company Mm. um so pitches i find really hard yeah and i was thinking when you were talking before about structure and coming home to something Mm. i think that's super important in pitches you have to start this is literally just what i've been thinking about and learning as i've been doing them you have to start with whatever their problem is And as a communication agency, generally speaking, the problem that our potential clients and partners are facing is that they don't know what their story is, or at least they don't know how to articulate it. So Mm. if you think of their organization as a person, they don't know who they are. Mm. So we kind of present that as the problem at the beginning. And then we talk through all of these ideas around who they are, who they think they are, Mm -hmm. where they might go or where we might be able to take them. Mm. And we present them these ideas, these different directions. Mm. And then we kind of try to bring it back to that original question. So it's like we take them on this journey. And then at the end, we say something like, do you feel that that answers your question of who you are? So we pose the question. Wow. We go on this huge, you know, soul-searching journey together. And
1: that's just the pitch.
0: And that's just the pitch. Wow. And that that requires preparation and research because Mm. we have to think through what we know about this company and the people who work there and why they do what they do Mm. we have to develop stories Mm. so kind of vision stories purpose stories mission stories Mm. so we develop their sort of written stories but then we also develop their visual stories visually where might we take this brand where might we take this company Mm. and that it it's on one hand it's a lot of work to do before you've already started working with this company, but you're not going to get there mm. if you don't take them on this journey and try to do something together. Mm. And that I think it fits quite well with your with yes. your story architecture.
1: I think that's really good. Everyone like yeah, we all want to come home. Don't like yeah. I think that's that's nice. We all
0: want to be sort of taken by the hand. Yes. Or your your listeners want to be taken by the hand and brought home.
1: I think a lot about audience and who you're making things for. Because I suppose that experience, I think, going back to this thought, it's like things we can't control.
0: Mm.
1: Is that you might do all that work mm. and it's just not for them.
0: Yeah, and they still say no. That happens yeah. more often than not. <laughs> and it's
1: just not for them. Yeah, That doesn't mean that you've done a bad job mm. or that, um the whole idea of this pitching mm. concept doesn't work mm. like brian cranston would talk about auditioning and being like well it's just a chance to show someone what i can do mm. and if they don't like that that's fine it's fine mm. they're not buying my product or whatever it mm. is but it's like you have to be able to sort of detach yourself from that experience and mm. say Here's my thing, you know, acting is, all these kind of things are very personal. Mm. But you have to go, here's what I do. Mm. That's what I do. Don't like that. Thanks very much. Mm. Great to meet you. Mm. And it was really a joy to have the chance to show what I can do.
2: Yeah.
1: And in the same way, it's like, in this, I think this idea of control is really useful, which is like, sometimes I can make the most beautiful show in the world and no one goes to see it. I've had that where I think, if only we had a big crowd in tonight. Mm. That everything was there. Performances were on fire, the writing was electric, and we just had three grannies in and no, we just couldn't you know, how could we ever be able this is not this is all gonna flop, this mm. is gonna fail, you know? You have to be able to celebrate those things.
2: Yeah.
1: Whether they succeed or fail somehow. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, it sounds like a really interesting way of like, I mean, that's a lot of work for just the pitching stage. and sort of. It
0: is, but it's also, it's just about building relationships. Mm. Like you can't, yeah. you can't work with somebody who you don't trust to take you by the hand and yes. bring you along this journey. Especially when we're talking about things like brand identity and communications and yeah. what is my story. Yeah. You know, these are these are startup founders. They're very, very invested in what they're doing. Mm. They do it because they're passionate about it. And it's frustrating to them that they don't have the, tool, the tools or the skills to articulate that passion necessarily in the right way. Yes.
1: But how valuable it is for them to feel heard as well. If you can articulate mm. what they mean yeah. back at them, mm. that's unbelievable, isn't it? Actually,
0: I I would say the most, I think the most important part of that journey is actually before the pitch. So Mm -hmm. in order to get to that point, you have to have a relationship. Somebody doesn't want to hear a pitch if they, you know, if you're just some cold caller. So what I actually do is have research calls with people. Mm. So... And, and it's not under any false guise. like I genuinely <laughs> I want to, say. you know, yeah. No, I, I genuinely yeah, yeah, yeah. want to yeah. ask you questions, hear your answers and find out if we mm. could be a good fit and find yeah. out if it's even worth suggesting a pitch. Yes. So we do these research calls and I think they're really interesting because. One, it gives me an opportunity to find out about who this company is, what mm-hmm. they're doing, you know, what their priorities are, what direction they're trying to go, what their objectives are and everything. But the other thing that it does, which is maybe a bit more subconscious, but it gives them an insight into what it would be like to work through a kind of identity process with me. Mm. These are the types of questions I would ask you. This is how I listen to you. Mm. And I hear their answers and I repeat them back to them. Wow! And I add questions based on their answers, which requires a lot of thinking on the spot and true present listening. Yes. Because I can't I can't do that job if I'm not present.
1: And how powerful is that for them to have that kind of conversation mm. as well? I think it's because it's so rare.
0: Yeah.
1: Isn't it to have an experience with someone where you really feel like they're listening to you?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: It's really interesting.
0: Yeah, I think it's a crucial part of building trust in both directions. And and sometimes we get to the end of that conversation and the other person is very much like Thanks. No, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. yeah like they, yeah. you know, maybe they enjoyed the conversation, but mm. they're not interested in mm. developing their storytelling any further. Yeah. And like you said, at that point, I have to say, OK, that's fine. I know I did a good job. We had a good conversation. Mm. It was fine. Well, mm. maybe we didn't have a good conversation, but that also doesn't necessarily mean I didn't do a good job. Very because good. Because sometimes if we don't have a good conversation, maybe they, maybe they're just actually not interested in yes. storytelling, brand identity and all of these things. Mm and that's fine then we're yeah. not a good match anyway
1: absolutely and it feels like you know in all these like environments high pressure environments like we're not really allowed to sort of think about the most basic stuff which mm. is like human beings like to be heard exactly. <laughs> you know? This is know human beings like to and um, be told a story and yeah. these kind of things it's um uh that's really interesting
0: it's very um it is very very human Mm. like you really just have to remember how to relate to another human being in order to build those relationships and even get to the to the point of a pitch yeah um
1: do you watch um couples therapy
0: I have watched a few episodes <laughs> of it. Yeah, I think it's great.
1: It's one of my favourite TV it's shows. On it's on BBC. It's on BBC iPlayer. You can watch it. It's an American great. show. And it's just Such people's a couples therapy. I yeah. mean, it's real couples. I don't know quite how they do it, but it's so interesting. What a basic idea in therapy is to just repeat back what someone said.
0: Yeah.
1: And how rare it is for someone to just hear Mm. what's coming out of their own and and externalizing this thing yeah and i suppose another thing in relation to this conversation of nerves is about like the expression of your stuff and allowing yourself to hear it Mm. in relation to nerves so you know the little girl is nervous on top of the ski jump and we're all able to go god that looks really terrifying Mm and to validate that experience because mm. it really is scary <laughs> and often when when people academics who I've met here at Wolfson talk about you know or you talk about your new job I'm like that sounds absolutely terrifying mm. It's all completely natural for you to feel terrified at that experience. Yeah,
0: I do feel terrified at it when I'm doing it. Not, right. so, not so much the, the research interview part, but the no, pitch no, part. No, yeah, I'm sure. The pitch part, I, f- I feel very but, nervous. But how
1: often do we go through life and going like, well, other people seem to be doing it. So like, you know, what am I getting myself worked up for? Yeah. And yet there's loads of environments in life that are, are completely stressful.
0: Yeah. And it makes it so much worse when you think, oh, but so-and-so is really good. Yes. Right, so I should be good at it. Yes. That's not going to make me feel any better. Yes. But I always say that to myself.
1: Acknowledging like the sticky, gooey parts of yourself, and, yeah. Like I think it's, it's super important. hard. Important, and the more you can do that, the more I can engage with something openly and honestly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Agree. Mm. I'm just. I think, you know, you've done a lot of these these pivot point podcasts, mm. and you've been such an amazing host for them, because you really are very present with people and really listen to them and. Mm. And you ask really pertinent questions. And I think you're going to be, just in the context of this podcast, going to be really sorely missed. Um, and don't cut this bit out. <laughs> so, like, a big celebration of you because you've been really am- amazing. So, And it's been a real joy to get to know you over these past um, couple of years.
0: Thanks, Tom. That's very kind. It's been a pleasure as well
1: wishing you all the best
0: (laughs) lots of love
1: (laughs) I I think about this podcast and thinking like how like you know we're talking about being present but how much are we also like putting on our podcast voices Mm. do you know what I mean
0: I know I know